Good morning. So Carol and I have been tithing since we've been married, and I think as I watch this video, and I've watched it a number of times, the thing that strikes me is the experiences are very similar in a sense that one of the things that, that we've learned is that when you decide you're going to stretch yourself by either tithing or giving to like a capital campaign or you're going to give to some need out there and you know that it's going to, it's going to kind of press you a little bit, one of the things that will happen is something will happen in your life where there will be a challenge for are you really going to keep this commitment? A car will break down or something will happen. The amazing thing, though, through the years is we have seen, because we have tried to be generous, we have tried to keep those commitments, and we have, that we have seen the hand of God come in in incredible ways. We've seen God powerfully work, and it's just been an amazing thing where God has supplied. We said, what are we going to do? I don't know. And all of a sudden, through a back door, through something, God supplies. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I wouldn't trade that for anything. You know, it just dawned on me this morning, because I'm kind of slow, that um, over the last three years, this is the last weekend, uh, actually the last part of what we had set out to do uh, three years ago, which was 5 for 15. And we said, there's probably five things that would be great for us as a congregation to focus on. We talked about Bible reflection, and last year we spent a year just going through the Bible, uh, you know, eat this book. We talked about the idea of prayer and how it's important for us to think of prayer almost as breathing. Not something that you do now and then, but something you kind of are constantly involved in. We talked about sharing your faith. It's so important for us to share our faith with one another. We, and we talked about serving. And last month we had a month where we just we said, here's what it means to have a servant's heart and And here's a couple of events to kind of get you involved in serving. And then finally, we said, well, partly one of the the, the struggle, Jesus said a lot about money. And so one of the things we need to, we have to talk about is money. We have to talk about how um, it can can be a reflection of our heart. And and so we said, uh, we wanted to spend a month on talking about money or generosity, the idea of being generous because our Father in Heaven is generous. And I realized... This weekend, it's over. The 5 for 15 is done. We're done with those five disciplines that we set out uh, three years ago to do. And so I want to talk about this whole idea of what does it look like when you get everyone involved in being generous? What difference would it make if we as a congregation, as we as a church family all began to display the generosity of our Father in Heaven. Would it make a difference? Would it do something? Would it, would it have an impact on our community? So as we get started, I want to ask you a question. What did you do this week? <laughs> well, let me tell you about my week. Got done last Sunday, went to the Roshek building for three hours, had a number of nice tours and conversations with many of you, and I hope some of you will come today, so I won't be all alone. Um, and then found out Monday that my, my son, who's uh, been up in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, was rushed to the, went to the hospital, the emergency room, and basically had his appendix out. And I'm thinking, there's nobody to take care of this kid. And he was in, he had surgery Monday night at midnight, and um, they let him out at 1 o'clock the next day. We had 
you know, it's just like, okay, so he has a couple of teammates. He played soccer up there. What, what? So I immediately just said, I got to go. And I've been all week, I've been in Kingston in a hotel room with my son trying to get him back on his feet. And, you know, I didn't have that on my calendar. I mean, I, I really looked at my iPhone and said, this really wasn't part of my schedule this week. And I got back yesterday and I slept maybe 20. I got a good night's sleep last night for the first time in a couple of days. But I tell you all that because now we're faced with a bill. And I'm telling you this is real life. This is the way life works for you and for me and for everyone. We're faced with a bill that probably is somewhere 10000 plus. I don't know whether our medical insurance will cover it. May, I don't know. But here's a couple of lessons that I learned on my trip to Kingston, Ontario, to take care of my son. The first lesson I learned was we all need help. My son needed help. He needed somebody to take care of him. And he had two good friends that helped him for a, a day, and they could have probably done more. But, you know, it wasn't fair to them. And so I went to help him, and then I realized when I was trying to get there, I needed help. <laughs> How was I going to get there? How was this all going to work out? And, and the Lord and, you know, brought others and, and the Lord through others helped me and I was able to get there and, but I realized I needed help. That, that's one thing. And we all do that. I mean, every week you go through situations where you need help. You need somebody to help you. And, and some of you are maybe introverts and you don't want to ask for help. You want to do it all by yourself or you've got a pride thing. I don't know. But you know, when you're part of a community and you're part of a small group and you're part of people caring for you, you can just say, hey, I need help. And you know, it really is easier when somebody helps you. The second thing I learned was a lesson on worry. I couldn't believe how much I was worried the whole time about, am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? What am I, you know, I don't know what, it's just, Finally, I just was driving into Toronto from Kingston, which was about a two-and-a-half-hour two trip, though. It was a five-hour trip going out. Um, I was sitting there in the car riding at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I thought, my heart's going, well, what about this, what about this? And I just finally said, I told them what I tell you to do. I told my worried heart to shut up. <laughs> just shut up. But I was disappointed because I just felt like I was worried about this and I was worried about this and I was worried about this and it was almost like the Spirit of God came upon me and just said why don't you just trust me you know you're expending a whole lot of energy towards this you don't need to do that the last thing that I learned the last lesson I learned was grace it's just how amazing our God is that he supplies and he takes care of us no matter what we go through like I said, I could have looked on my, my phone and I could have seen that my, this wasn't, this week wasn't planned the way I had it. I mean, when I signed off last weekend, I said, okay, now it's time to get into my routine for this next week. No. But he knew. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly the challenges that, that, that we were going to have as a family and, and I was going to have and Jordan was going to have. And ultimately, guess what? He helped me. We made it. What, and sometimes it wasn't easy and sometimes it wasn't pretty, but we made it, right? And, and that's the way life is. And so I thought about it. I said, boy, I, you know, as a pastor, 
teaching you folks about worry and trust and all these other things. I think I'd give myself a C- minus this week. <laughs> By the way, I have five boys. And I love my boys. Don't know what a girl would do, but uh, don't really want to know. <laughs> But I want to talk about this whole thing because life is, you know, when you, you know, we just, we have a challenge before us. We as a family have a challenge before us now. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I, you know, I've, I've kind of figured this out. I'm not going to really worry about it because that's not going to get anything done. I, I just, you know, so there, there's something and there'll be no charge on that extra little sermonette that I just gave you. And I'll try to cut my other one shorter for some of these. And well, that means he's going to go over now. <laughs> the early church, though, got, the, you know, and again, I'm not going back to try to look at the early church and say, well, they were the best. I mean, they were the best church ever, the early church. Let's go back to the early church. But there were some things they really got right. And they understood what it meant to be generous. Uh, they were known for their generosity. You know, in the second century, there was a letter that was written to Diognetius, and it spoke about the behavior of the early Christians. And, and here's a quote from there. It says this. They marry, as, as do the others. They get married. And they, get ch- they have children, but they do not destroy their offspring. So they had this, 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 this high view of life, born or unborn. Uh, they didn't abort their children. And then it says this, a great phrase. I love this phrase. They have a common table, but not a common bed. In other words, it meant they were generous. They, they opened their table up to those who were poor, who needed food, who needed help, who needed a meal. They invited them in. But they closed their bedroom door and they said, moral purity. Now, we could take a lesson from that in our society and in our, in our lives, right? The Roman Emperor Nero began campaigns of brutality against Christians in AD 64. And during this time, in spite of the, da- the great danger to themselves, Christians carried on an active ministry that included the care of the sick. Um, and the reason they had this ministry to the sick was because they believed in image Deo, which means the image of God, that every one of us ha- carries the image of God. And so the next time you make a critical remark about somebody else or you make fun of somebody or you, 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 uh, criti- you know, you, you, you put them down or you put a race down or you put a gender down or you do something like that. Just, just picture yourself in an art gallery looking at, at the paintings and having the artist standing next to you and be pointing at it and say, that's a piece of crap. Because that's exactly what we're doing. And, but they had a high view of life and they said, you know what, we have a responsibility. In fact, in 251, there was a plague that, that swept through Carthage in North Africa. And many, many people were dying and Christians and pagans were dying. But what the Christians did is all the pagans left. They were running out. The Christians stayed and they nursed and took care of the dying. In fact, they tried to blame somebody for the, for the, uh, uh, the plague, and they they, uh, they 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 fingered, they put the 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 onus on the Christians. He said they're responsible for it. Their God is responsible for it. So the emperor uh, Decius ordered that all the Christians had to sacrifice to the gods, the other gods. And if they didn't do it, they died. And many Christians basically said, "Well, if it comes down to that, we'll die." Carthage. Carthage 
which is Bishop Cyprian um, enjoined the city's Christians to give aid to their persecutors and to care for the sick. Um, He urged the rich to donate funds and to volunteer their service. Under Cyprian's direction, Christians buried the dead left in the streets and they cared for the sick and dying. They were known for their purity. They were known for enduring under persecution. They were known for ministering to the poor and the sick. They were known as generous people. They gave of their time. They gave of their lives. And, and, and you know, when you start doing that within a community, people start taking notice. They go, why are you doing this? This is crazy. You're risking your life. You're giving what you have. Why would you do that? You get nothing out of this. In the passage we want to look at this weekend, we can see that the early church was actively liquidating their resources to bless others. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Let's just look at that passage. Acts 4, 32. And here's what it says. Here's what Luke's account says. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that they, they... what they owned was not their own, and they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There, was no, there were no needy people among them, because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring money to the apostles and give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one, uh, 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 the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I have no idea why we need to go into all this detail about this guy. I'm called Bob, and my, you know, no. he was uh, from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field, and he owned uh, that he owned, and he bought brought the money to the apostles. So the question is, what happens when the gospel is applied, really applied in, in a community? Number one, resources are distributed according to need. The gospel changes your view of ownership. And that's really so important. And that's really what we wanted this month to be part of, is for you to see that everything that you have and everything you are is really a gift of God. Where you were born, when you were born, um, your gifts and abilities, your ability to, to earn a living, your your you, the, the home you were raised in, they were, you know, compared to the rest of the world, they are all given to you by God. And everything that you have is, is a part of something that you've been asked to steward. So the progression of thought is interesting. He uh, gave us everything, and He came on earth, gave up everything, came to earth, He gave His life to us, and now, uh, because of that, we understand that we have been given opportunities and resources to bless others. And our desire is to bless others because we have been blessed by Him. And, and what I tried to get at early in this series a couple weeks ago was saying, one of the reasons we're not generous is we don't really understand how blessed we are by Him. And when you understand how blessed you are by Him, you want to bless others. You understand that everything you have is a gift from Him. And you want to help others. And the early church got this principle. And... Uh, And if you jump back, go jump back two chapters to Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And you can see the early church, Acts 2, 44. All the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day and met at homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
Now, here's the early church. This Jerusalem church, these Christians in Jerusalem, began, they became, became the sending uh, board for all of the gospel to go to all the world, in Jerusalem and Judea, to Samaria, to the othermost parts of the world, it says in Acts, uh, you know, about the gospel, how it was supposed to go. So Jerusalem is the center point. And now these Christians are sending out the gospel, and Stephen is going out, and Paul is going out, and Peter is going out, and, 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 and churches are being planted, and the gospel is going out. You know, years down the road now, we'll, we'll see, and we pointed this passage out, I think it was two weeks ago, where it said that Paul was taking an offering. The interesting thing now, Paul's taking an offering from these churches that have been planted because of the work that's gone out of Jerusalem, and now they're taking an offering to bring it back to Jerusalem to help the Christians who are struggling in, Christ- in Jerusalem. So it's kind of a circular thing. They reached out, and then those that were reached out to reached out and blessed others. So it really came back to them. The general principle they understood was that all they had was His. Ownership is such an important thing in generosity. Because if you think it's yours, you know, and if you think, listen, you've heard of Mass Mutual, maybe you have or maybe you haven't. It's an investment banking type company in the East. And I want to just tell you, I just decided I'm going to start Matt Mutual. And, and so Matt Mutual works like this. You give me like $100,000 of your money and just give it to me. And when you do that, um, so let's just say that I'm, you think that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a money manager, okay? And I'm good at it. And I'm not, and I'm not. And let's just say that you think that, though, for some odd reason. So you give me $100,000 and you, you asked me in six months, how's it going? I go, it's going great. You, go, you know, a year, going great. Five years, hey, it's going fantastic. Hey, if you want to give me more, I do want to give you more if things are going so great. And so you give me more. And, I, and you ask me in ten years, how's it going? It's fantastic. It's great. I can't tell you how great it's been. And uh, so 20 years comes and you get to 25 and say, hey, uh, I'm going to cash out now. I want to know how much money you've made for me. And I go, oh, that's what I was supposed to do? I've been spending it on myself. <laughs> i got a boat. i got a car. I, man, I've had a good life for the last 25 years. This has been fantastic. I mean, i got to tell you, I, I just, this has been great. Uh, you wouldn't be happy about that. You would say, wait a minute. Didn't you get this? You were supposed to manage this for me. You weren't supposed to spend it on yourself. Guess what? Our Father in Heaven has said, here's what I'm giving you. Now, obviously take care of yourself. Don't feel guilty about going out and buying clothes and food and enjoying life. That's not what it's... But is there something you can invest for my kingdom? Because one day I'm going to ask you, how did you do How did my investment pay off? You see, that's how easy it is to see it. Now we have to take that and say that's a biblical principle of generosity that we understand who ownership is. And when we understand ownership, we understand where it should be invested and how we need to manage it. So that's a challenge for us. See, one day you will have a meeting with your investor. (laughs) And his name is Jesus. And he's looking for a good return on his money. And by the way, he has a parable in the Bible about that one. Here's the second thing we learn. 
Whole communities, if we understood this whole principle of generosity, and we, as we saw it in the early church, whole communities would be transformed and blessed. They'd be transformed and they'd be blessed. The early church, as we've seen, they were, they were, they were effective when they suffered, served, and shared. And you think about that. The early church saw suffering and persecution a lot different than we do. They saw it as something to be, we see it as something to be avoided, something to, you know, to get away with. And, you know, we have very light in America. We have, I mean, there's brothers and sisters across the world and other dark nations that are just absolutely being tortured and murdered and destroyed because of their faith, because they love Jesus, nothing more than that. But we live in America. We live in a free country where we can exercise our faith. We can proclaim it boldly and proudly. And, but, but here's what the early church saw. The early church saw suffering and martyrdom as a way, they saw it as a way to, they realized that uh, they were brought really specifically to places where they had either you profess and worship this other God or you die. And there's all sorts of uh, early church writings where you see people were in one, one writing I quoted to you a while ago about a mother who had all these sons and they brought the sons one by one and they just murdered them, destroyed them, just cut their heads off, just, just, just one after another and they were just encouraging one another. You see, they saw it different. They saw it as a way to honor, because why? They're honoring who? The one who sacrificed himself for us. So they saw it as a great honor. To die in the way that my Lord did for me, that, that's the way they saw it. That's the way they understood martyrdom and suffering. And, and, and so they, you know, it said that the, the apostles were, were all, and they were, they were all executed for their faith, ultimately. They said that, you know, and I don't know if this is true, but they said that Peter when he was brought, they were going to crucify him. He said, crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to be crucified in the same way as Jesus, my Lord. Now, I don't know how you crucify somebody upside down. It kind of breaks the whole principle. But the point is, they had that attitude. They were willing to die. Serving. They, they served their community to the point of um, that pagans stopped and took notice. When the pagans... I, I talked about this one uh, outbreak in Carthage where uh, many were dying because of a plague, and the Christians didn't run away. They stayed there, and they nursed those. They, they stayed with those who were dying, whether they were Christian or pagan or not. And you know what? The world starts to take notice to that when you say, you know what? I'm, I'm okay. I'll stay here for this. I'll, I'll be in here. Um, I, I, you know, I think of uh, Dr. Kent Brantley and uh, Nancy Whitebroll, the missionaries that were serving those who were sick in West Africa, and uh, who put their lives you know, in jeopardy to minister to people who are dying. How easy it would it be to say, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. And, and I think in one interview or one thing I read, somebody asked, would you go back? And, and I heard them both kind of say, yeah, I think I would. You go, wait a minute. Everybody's running away from this. Why would you run in? And the, the answer is because they see the need and they realize that that's part of what they do. Here's another quote from that. And I read a, a small quote from Dionysius, to the, the letter to the epistle to Dionysius. It says, as, as citizens, they share in the things, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. They marry and do, and do all others 
They beget children, yet they do not destroy their offspring. Uh, offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. And so the idea is they're saying there that they were persecuted by some. And the interesting thing is in 1 Peter, if you go to 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter uses a phrase that really describes the early church really well. They were called resident aliens. Now, a resident alien is kind of an interesting thing because basically what, what Peter was saying is he's saying that anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call Jesus your Lord, you're a resident alien, meaning you're a resident on this planet, but you're an alien because your homeland is in heaven. And so you live in that tension. Now, that tension is played out by Christians and kind of on a continuum in our world today. And some Christians have this idea that, that we have to go through this world, and we use this phrase, I'm not, I, I don't live here, I'm just passing through. In, in other words, I don't want to get touch it, I don't want to get close to it, I don't want to interact with it, I want to kind of stay separate from it, I kind of want to just want to stay unspeakable. You know, unspot, they use it unspotted. But the idea is, I'm not going to engage on it. I'm not going to help it. I'm not going to throw my life in, and serve in it. I just want, I just, it's just kind of like I have to be here for now, but I'm waiting for heaven. And I would just answer two things for that. Number one, Jesus says, let your light shine before all men that we're to engage, we're to help the poor, and all this is in Scripture. But the other thing is, some, some, some folks, some Christians actually think, well, I just can't wait till this world is destroyed and all the evil in it. And I just want to say, yes, I understand all that. And I understand the pull of evil. I talk about it all the time and the cultural pull that we have and how there's a satanic element behind it. I get all that. But here's the other part of it. The other part of it is this world is going to be remade. We are going to live on this earth. Heaven is going to come to earth. This is going to be a remade earth. So in a sense, that, that's, but so, so that's one idea. That I'm just passing through and I'm not going to get... So I have this Christian community here and my Christian community here and my Christian community. I never engage in the world at all. The other part is where Christians are so engaged in the world and so involved and, and so like the world that they go, hey, why don't you come to church? Let me tell you about Jesus. And they go, why would I listen to you about Jesus? Why would I want to go to church? You're no different than me. You lie. You're immoral. Your mouth is like a... You, 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 you swear like a sailor. You mock people. You're no different than, than me. In fact, you're worse than me. What, what do you have to offer me? Right? But Peter says that a resident alien will always live in both the praise and the misunderstanding. And... They will live a life that walks the line between disengaging and fully engaging. They will engage in the world, but they will do it in a healthy way. They will remain unspotted and unstained by the world, and yet they, they will engage deeply in the lives of those within the world. Jesus puts the balance this way. This is the verse I referenced, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot, cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, uh, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When, I, when you start living the Christian life, they'll see. When you start loving people who no one loves, a lot of people will make fun of you and they'll say, that's stupid. When you stand up and say, you know what, I don't believe that and, I, and I'm sorry, I, I can't. I can't go along with that because the teacher says you have to do this or that. 
you have to write this. You may get a bad grade. But there'll be people that will always mock you. There will be people that will respect you and they will say, you have something I don't have. It's an, attract, it's an attractive thing and it's also a repulsive thing for people when you, when you share the gospel. The third thing that would happen is that God's blessing would be, God's blessing would be powerfully demonstrated. It says in that Acts 2 passage that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The reason that God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved is because the church was living out such a powerful application of the gospel within their culture. They were living the Christian life. They were demonstrating the love of Jesus. They were accepting people that society was totally mocking. They were giving when they had extra. They served others and gave to the poor. They were known for their good deeds. Have you ever wondered why more people aren't coming to Christ today? Have you ever wondered why, well, you know, think about it. Uh, most of the time, if, you, if I could ask you, what are three things that pagan, secular people think about Christians? If you could come up with three descriptors. And, and I, I think some of the words that you might come up with are judgmental, arrogant, know-it-all, hypocrites. That's enough, I think, isn't it? And you say, so why would they even be interested? Why, why would they even be interested? And, and I think that what we want to do is say, we always say, what should I tell a person who doesn't know Jesus? I'm thinking, maybe we're talking way too soon and we're not behaving soon enough. Maybe we're not living the life verbally and they come and they ask us, as the Scripture says, about the hope that's within us. Because when we go through difficult weeks or difficult times, they see our lives are different. They see we have hope when others don't. They see that we have joy. They see that, that we're going through difficult times and we respond differently. They, say that when, they see that when life starts to pinch us instead of us flipping people off and being arrogant and angry, we're able to kind of process it. Or when we blow it, we come back and we say, hey, you know what, I didn't respond well here. I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And they go, I don't get that. That's crazy. And they stop and they go, there's something different about you. And, and, and our generosity comes out and they see us being generous and they say, why would you be generous here? Why in the world would you do this? Because they always think it's okay to be generous to people that you know and love, your kids, your family, maybe your friends, but to a total stranger, why would you do that? They don't understand that you remember somebody who is generous for you, who gave up everything for you, who came to earth and gave his life on a cross and said, it is finished, it's done, it's over, it's taken care of. They don't understand that. Is it any wonder why the world was being turned around at that time and when pagans were being persecuted and said, I'd rather die than deny Christ. I'll serve those who the world is rejected. 
I will give if there's a need. I'll sell my property if I have to. doesn't really matter because you know what? He gave everything up for me. I can give everything up because it's all His anyways. When we begin to have that attitude, think about what happens when one person does it or five or ten or fifteen or a community of followers do it and they love people and they just love people because they see the image of God in them and they say, I see some things in your life that are really dark. But I understand that if God got a hold of that light and if He turned your heart and opened your eyes, your life would change because He did that for me. And so I don't just see where you are. I see where you could be. And I've seen that in my life and I've seen that in the lives of those around me. And one of the coolest, most powerful things in my life that I've ever experienced is watching God turn a life from darkness to light. And I've seen him do it in my life. I've seen him do it in my friends. And I want to see him do it in yours. And I'm willing to invest anything to have that happen. Would that make a difference? Would that make a difference in our community? And they basically said, why are we doing this? Because he did it for us. That's it. That's all that matters. I want to close with one passage. Matthew 25. I love this passage where Jesus talks to... um, Well, let me just read it to you. Pardon me. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to him, those on his right, Come, um, you who are blessed by my Father, uh, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For Okay, so let's just stop there for a moment. So here it is. It's the end, end of the day. It's the day of accounting. And it's the, this great parable of the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are on one side and the goats are on the other side. And it's this magnificent, very... They're very thronely, uh, heavenly, powerful picture in heaven, right? And, and he separates, and you expect him to say, Now I will destroy you, boom, and now, you know, you know. It, 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 and what does he say? It's amazing what he says. He's got them separated, and now he's speaking to the sheep. And what does he say to his sheep? I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. This is what the early church was doing. They were living this out. They were doing these things with the pagans, with the people around them. They didn't do it because they were... And by the way, let me say this. They weren't doing this so that one day they could say, God, look at what I did. Because look at their response. Their response tells you that wasn't their motivation. Then those righteous ones replied. So my point here is, let me just stop. My point here is, Jesus isn't saying, you did so many good things for me, you get to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying because that's not what their intent was. Look at what their intent was. Then those righteous ones will reply, 
Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked, naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you in prison and visit you? They say, I don't remember doing that. So if, if this was their resume, they would have had it all printed out and in the right format, and they would have said, here it is, here's why. They said, I don't remember doing that. And Jesus said, when you did it, uh, as the king will say to them, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. See the point Jesus is making is, you proved that you were my followers because you did what I did. You took on the trait of me, of my Father in heaven. You were generous to those who were downtrodden, to those who were in prison, those who were hurting, those who were struggling. You did that. You just you lived that life. You proved you were one of my followers. Now he goes on to talk to the goats and he says exactly the opposite. He says, uh, he judges them and he basically says, you proved who you were too, that you didn't love me and you didn't care about others. You only cared about yourself. You didn't serve others. You were stingy. You were proud. You were arrogant. And you showed your heart. If this community gets a grip on what does it mean, first, the generosity of our Father in Heaven and what it means to be a generous community and care for one another and care for this community, if we begin to do that as a church, we will transform this community like no one has ever seen it. As we begin to live like the church is called to live, we will change this community forever. I absolutely believe that. The reason we're not seeing more people come to Christ is we're not living the implications of the gospel in our lives and in our community. And when we start to do that, we will start to see people say, some will say, you're freaky. And other people will say, what, have you ha- what do you have? Because I see hope. I see joy. I see you have a generous spirit. You have a forgiving spirit. You... You treat everyone equally. I don't, I don't know what you have, but I know I want it. That's where the change will take place. May God help us to be a generous community. Let's stand. So, Father, help us, because this, can't, this isn't a way where we try harder. or we, we, do, we do look to Jesus as our example, but more than that, we reflect upon your generosity towards us. We understand that ownership is, a part, is really stewardship. We understand that everyone carries your image and is to be treated with dignity and respect. And Father, as we love others, whether they're, they're followers of Christ or not, we pray that we would just live our lives according to the Gospel and give them the forgiveness and the mercy that they uh, don't deserve and to give them the generosity that maybe we don't have because you gave it to us. And we're grateful and we're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.